Hello, this sermon audio is a ministry of the Town Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you would like to learn more about us, how to connect, or how to support us, go to our website, thetownchurch.org. While listening to the Bible preached is a healthy part of our spiritual formation, it is not the whole picture. So if you aren't a part of a local church, we encourage you to prayerfully commit to a local body of believers where you live. We're glad you can join us, and we hope God uses the following sermon to reveal more of His glory to you. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, that was good. Right on the front row here. Liam, Corinne, that was awesome. Good job. Good morning. My name is Vince. I'm one of the elders here. Um, I, I am uh, often up here, but have not been for the last three weeks, so it's good to be back with you all. Um, if we have not met, I would love to meet you, so uh, find me. I'll find you. That sounds really weird if I find you, but anyway, I'd love to meet you. Um, I want to explain, or, or, or at least begin by um, thanking uh, those of you who were praying for me over the last weeks. Um, as I uh, mentioned at the beginning of July, so three, four weeks ago, I was going to be taking some time away to, um, to try to figure out what rest uh, looked like, uh, to try to figure out rest uh, in general, rest physically, rest spiritually, uh, emotionally. I mentioned this several weeks ago, but this is how those weeks went. I just want to communicate with you because um, uh, you, you all, the elders, have graciously allowed me that time. I spent the first first of my three weeks away just by myself, um, so I went away, spent the, that first week away reading, um, walking a lot. I've really enjoyed just walking and, and being out walking. I spent some time um, running, thinking, sleeping, and then I just did that in, in repeat over and over for for about a week, um, and it was uh, amazingly refreshing. I spent that uh, second week with Kirsten, my wife, um, and so we spent several days together. And, and what does a married couple with five kids do when they finally get some alone and quiet space together? Argue, right? Argue. I don't know where your mind was going, but argue is what we what we do when we get together after um, time uh, apart and then time together. It seems as if we save those up for the times that we're together, and then we just blah, right? Get it all out there. So that's what we did a couple times, but let me tell you this. Um, the, the reason I say that is this. We didn't spend our whole time, my, Kirsten wanted me to be sure to say, we didn't spend our whole time away arguing, all right? So there was some redeeming. There was a lot of redeeming stuff there, but um, we are um, sinful people who want our own way in so many ways, and so that comes out in how we communicate, um, but but ultimately those discussions, we'll call them from here on out, those discussions were helpful for us. They were very healthy for us to get to a place once the dust settled to have some conversations to bring some clarity to where we have been over the last months and years and to bring some clarity where, where we need to be going. And so our time was extremely fruitful, a, a gift from God. And then that last week, um, we... Um, let me, let me tell you this. This is a little bit of an aside, but we, in that week where we were together, we spent some time with our church planting network. Acts 29 is our church planting network that we're a part of. We spent, uh, three days there with them, uh, on a retreat. And I'm extremely encouraged and excited about what we're doing as a network, a network that's, uh, planting churches that plant churches that plant churches. And we just duplicate that, uh, multiply that out and out. Um, and, and so there were, I think, 600 plus churches represented there. Um, together under one roof. Um, uh, it, it was exciting. So that's what we did. And, and then that third week, 
um, together. It was just our family at home alone. So we hid away at our home. Um, a great time being together. Significant responsibilities shoved to the side. We played games. We, um, we laughed together. We watched a couple movies together. We read together. We played hours and hours of Foursquare and the cul-de-sac, which came in handy at our church camping trip this last weekend because we dominated. Um, talk to Tyler. All right. And um, uh, we've, we um, use that time to just regroup as a family. Um, we spent some time working together, which was really helpful too. My dad came over. We used to have these shrubs along our the front of our house. He came over with his log chain and truck. The shrubs are no more. So we spent a lot of time um, working together, laughing together, um, putting into place some right practices as a family that we hope to, to see moving into the future as much needed. Now, I would be lying if I said to you that I came back all fixed up, right, restored, ready to go, rested. I'm ready to go, but but rested in ways that are going to push me into the next uh, whatever I have here, right, uh, years and years. Big steps were made in that direction for sure, and, I, and I'm thankful. Some real clarifying moments um, were, were there. Um, God worked in me, worked on me significant ways, but there's still quite a bit of work that God needs to do in me and on me, and I, I need to be open to that. So I'm, I'm hopeful that God will continue um, to, to move me in the right direction, and I'd invite you to keep praying with me and for me as, as, um, as your pastor who desires to be here as long as God will allow. For years and years and years, I want to be the pastor at the town church in Fort Collins. That wasn't a, a request. I'm just saying I, I want to be here for, for a long time. So you can pray that God would help me to endure and, and to sustain me. Um, all right, so that's what's, what, what's been going on in my world the past three weeks, um, and I, I'd love to hear um, from you. So we'll just pass around a mic and see what's going on, no? Um, here, here's where we're going. I'm thankful for the elders who encouraged me, uh, allowed me and encouraged me to take that time. So I'm, I'm really grateful, grateful for Sergey and Eric um, to, to preach, and, and um, thankful for your patience as a church as I fumble along being your pastor, okay? Here's where we're going. Um, the text for the day is long. Um, nearly two chapters. Acts 23 is what we're looking at, 23 through the end of 24. So grab your Bibles, turn to Acts 23. Um, we're going to jump in there. Would you believe me if I said we only had four or five weeks left in the book of Acts? Believe me, because that's, that's true, right? We're, we have four or, or five weeks left. We'll finish up the book of Acts through the end of August, uh, in, into the, the first week, I think, of sep- September. And then we'll regroup as a church right after Labor Day. We'll work through our vision and mission as a church. So if you're here thinking about uh, plugging into a church or where we're headed as a church, want more information about that, come back um, in, in the, we'll come back next week, but come back in, in the following weeks and we're going to work through that together. And, um, really some exciting stuff happening as a church, wanting to see what Jesus would help us do into the future. So um, we'll do that. And then um, the next book that we're going to walk through as a church after we finish Acts and after we finish um, our vision and mission series is the book of Job. Um, so I'd encourage you to be reading that and rereading it. Um, as a church, we go back and forth between, we want, we want to see the whole counsel of God. So we're going to go back and forth between Old and New Testament. As we finish up Acts, we'll then head into Job. I've started doing some study in the book of Job, and I'll tell you this, it's going to draw us in to affections for Jesus like, like some other books uh, maybe have not. Um, and so be reading that. We need that book as a, as a church. All right, so we have about four or five weeks left in this book. And part of the reason we have four or five weeks left is because we're going to cover nearly two chapters today. So fasten your seatbelts and we're going to take off. Actually, you don't need to fasten them. You're stuck to your pew with sweat. So there you go. All right, grab your Bibles to Acts 23. 
Here's where we're, we're starting this morning. I want to start with this big question, a big truth statement about God. It's not a question, a big truth statement about God. I want to um, proclaim a truth statement about God, and then I want to see that pushed through the entire chapters as we work through seeing everything flow from that and through that. So here's the big theological statement that I want to put in front of us this morning that we've seen displayed over and over in the book of Acts. And here's what the statement is, that God is sovereign. That God is, is sovereign. God has a plan to redeem a people to himself, redeemed, purchased uh, through the blood of his son. And if he is sovereign, if, if he has a sovereign will and a plan to do that, you better believe that he's going to accomplish it. That God is sovereign over all. In the very beginning of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 8, you know what? I totally forgot. Fran. I don't have my little remote for verses. Are you going to be sitting up there? Could you hit space whenever I say, hey, hey, or something clever? Um, or Eric, you could run and get the remote. That'll be, that'll be, uh... <laughs> so I don't have, there's little kinks we need to work out after being gone uh, three weeks, all right? Where were we headed? In the very beginning of the book of Acts, um, Jesus says to his people, you can go, hey, hey, all right, um, uh, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now that's a plan, right? It's a plan. Don't pay any attention to this. Thank you. All right. Um, you're dismissed. Um, <clears throat> that's a plan, a plan I don't understand. Why in the world would God include us into the plan that he has to present the gospel to the ends of the earth? I, I have no idea why that's the case, but he is at work doing that, calling us to be a part of that, and, and the plan is being carried out in and through God's servant, Paul. We see this in the book of Acts. Do you remember all the way back to the Acts chapter 9, where right after Paul's conversion, um, God is speaking to Ananias uh, about Paul, and he says what? He says to Ananias, he says, he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles, and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Right, so Paul is that chosen instrument. Paul's a tool in the hand of God in suffering to be used for the spread of the name of Jesus. That is God's plan. He has a plan and his will, and he is sovereign over all things. He will carry out that plan to make Jesus known. And we've seen that in Paul's life and in his mission. That, that very thing, haven't we? Where, where, where God is directing every step. He has a plan for Paul. What is on Paul's itinerary now as we make it up to Acts chapter 23? Do you remember? What's his, on his itinerary? Rome. That's where he is heading. He has a desire, a God-given desire to get back to Rome, and God has a plan to get him to Rome. And if we remember all the way back to Acts chapter 19, um, it, it, Paul was in Ephesus, but he wanted to move. He, he was in Ephesus, he wanted to move, and we, we see in verse 21, now after these, things, after these events, is the author of Acts telling us, Luke telling us, now after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, that's where he is now, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. So the end destination is Rome for that to be the springboard into possibly Spain and beyond. That's what the spirit of the Lord is directing him to do, get to Rome. And then Eric touched on this last week, um, and, and, and what did the Lord Jesus himself tell Paul in Jerusalem? You remember what he says? It says, the Lord stood by him and said, take courage, 
For as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, where Paul is now, so you must testify also in Rome. In other words, God is saying, listen, Paul, my sovereign plan, it it was that you would get to Jerusalem. You've done it. Good job. Now you're moving on to Rome. Let's go. So here's what we see this morning as we plow through two chapters. If God is sovereign, and he is, if God is sovereign and in his sovereignty has a plan for Paul or for you or for me, to be witnesses of Jesus, then he's going to carry out that plan. He's going to carry out that plan. His plan will not be stopped. Do you understand that? That his plan's not going to be stopped. I think Paul understands that so very clearly. We see it in some of the other writings that he he has in the New Testament. If God is sovereign, and he is, he will complete what he sets out to do, both in you and through you. So, So both in you and through you. In you, Paul says of the the Christians of the Philippian church, he says, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God has a sovereign plan to work in the hearts and lives of those he has adopted to be his own. So Christian brother or sister, listen, God is not finished with you. He's still working in you. He's going to bring that to completion. The God who saved you will not let you go. He will continue to work in you to make you more like his son, Jesus. Paul was convinced that God would work through him too. So not just in him, but but also through him. In a letter that he wrote to his good friend Timothy, he speaks about uh, 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 the suffering for the gospel of Jesus. He says that he's been appointed a preacher, he's been appointed an apostle, he's been appointed a teacher, and and he suffers because of all of those things. And then he says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, he says this, but I I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he's able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. He's convinced. He's convinced. In other words, Paul's saying, I've been entrusted with the good news of Jesus to be spoken across the globe. I know Jesus. I believe in Jesus. I'm convinced he's guarding the truth of the gospel and he's now working through me. He's working through me even in the suffering that I'm enduring. Paul's convinced that God is sovereignly working in and through the lives of believers to carry out his perfect and sovereign plan and we can take comfort in this. This is what we see today in this long text. We can take comfort in this. If God is sovereign, and He is, He will prepare you. He will protect you. He will provide for you, and He will provide you. Okay, and so that's what we see. The text is long, so I'm not going to read it. I'm not going to spend a lot of time um, uh, plowing through verse by verse. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to retell the events that are happening here, but I'd encourage you this even today or this week to be reading through chapters 23 and 24 and see how, how you see God's hand orchestrating all of the events here. All right, so, so if God is sovereign and he is, he will prepare you. This is what we see first in 12 through 15 of chapter 23. If God is sovereign and he is, he will prepare you. Paul shows us this. We see it in the life of Paul starting in verse 12. Remember, Paul's in Jerusalem. That's where he is. He's in Jerusalem wanting to get to Rome. He's arrested in the temple in Jerusalem, has been confronted a number of times by different officials. He's been wrongly accused. He's been chained. He's been stretched out to be whipped. And over and over and over, Paul has an opportunity to speak. You ever thought about it that way? That these are opportunities in the lives, uh, life of Paul to speak and his desire more than anything else is to point all the more to the fame of Jesus as he's being stretched out to be whipped. And we ended last week with the words of Jesus again coming to Paul at night in verse 11. 
So you've done what I've called you to do in Jerusalem. It's time to go to Rome, so let's go. And and so if God is sovereign, and he is, and his plan is to get Paul to Rome to speak of Jesus there, he will prepare him, and he does, starting in verse 12. So here's what happens. The Jews are in Jerusalem making a plot against Paul to kill him. This is a murderous group of people. A murderous group of people. We're told that more than 40 people gathered together to kill Paul and they were serious. In fact, they were so serious that they made a vow, they made an oath that they would not eat or they, they would not drink until they could kill him. That's a murderous group of people. And so they went to the chief priests and the elders and they said, tell the tribune who we met last week, Claudius Lysias. I think Eric said that he was a dirtbag. Those are Eric's words. That's not God's. That's not mine. That's Eric. All right. So he says he's a dirtbag. Tell the tribune to bring him down to you so that you can figure out his case more precisely. Bring him on down. And when our friend, the tribune, Claudius Lysias, brings him down, we'll be hiding behind cars and bushes to nab him and kill him. There's going to be an ambush. Now, before we see this as simply another plot, another plot against Paul's life, which it is, but before we see it as simply another plot, we also have to see that this is the sovereign hand of God preparing Paul. What what have we seen every other time there's a plot against Paul's life in the book of Acts? He runs, right? He he gets out of there. He's wise. He's he's smart. He, He leaves. And in God's sovereignty, Paul goes to a different place, the exact place that God would have him proclaim the name of Jesus. And so the plots of against Paul's life up to this point in the book of Acts have been preparation for a change in venue. You understand that? That up until this point in the book of Acts, he, the, these, these movements of Paul, these plots against Paul's life have been preparation for a change in venue. You're moving, Paul. Getting you out of here. You are going on for the proclamation of the gospel. So if God is sovereign, and he is, he will prepare you just like he has with Paul. Have you thought about this before? Thought about this in, in, in your own life, that, that trials come your way. That, that hardship comes your way. That suffering comes your way. A disruption in your day, a disruption in your week, a disruption in your month, a disruption in your year, a, a disruption in, in your life comes. Could it be that God is preparing you for something else? Most certainly He's preparing you at least ultimately, to speak and to live out the good name of Jesus. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to make some cute, hallmarky kind of saying here, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. That's not what I'm trying to do. That's not at all what, what I'm saying. But if God is sovereign, and He is, if God is sovereign and He is, then the stuff of this life is God's preparation for what's next. We've got to remember that. We've got to know that. We've got to believe that. That the stuff of this life is preparation for what's next and what's next and what's next. And listen, his hand, God's hand is all over these things. It's not a kind of hands-off preparation. He's, He's preparing for you the next steps of what is going to happen. And here's what we see next. In that, he will protect you. If he's preparing you for something else, he's going to protect you in it. That's what we see of Paul starting in verse 16. Paul's nephew hears about this planned ambush against Paul, so he goes to the prison where Paul is. He schedules a visit with Paul. They let him in. He's behind the glass, the glass, and he picks up the phone, and he motions to Paul because Paul's not up with technology. Get the phone. And so they're talking back and forth. 
right? They, they have a visit, and, and he tells his uncle everything that's going on. Hey, Uncle Paul, here's what's happening. There's a group of 40-plus Jews who are hiding in the bushes ready to kill you. So Paul calls one of the centurions, one of the guards, down to ask uh, that they would escort his nephew to Claudius Lysias so he can explain everything that's going down. And Paul's nephew is escorted down to Lysias, and he tells him everything that's about to go down. Lysias listens to what he's saying uh, from, from Paul's nephew, and he says, don't tell anyone what you've just told me. Don't, don't say a word. If God is sovereign, and he is, and if he has a plan for Paul to go to Rome, and he does, he's going to protect him all the way there. And he does. Through a nephew who happened to hear of this plan. Uh, listen, friends, God is over everything. All over everything. He hears everything, even the plans of his enemy. God's not, God's not out, out here not hearing and understanding what is going on. No, he's actively involved. He knows everything. He hears everything. God is sovereignly orchestrating the events of his people working in, in them and through them to carry out his plan. We cannot overlook that in Paul's life or in ours. So starting in verse 23, Claudius Lysias calls for two of the centurions. They have a conversation that goes something like this. I I want you to gather 200 soldiers. Here's what Claudius says. I want you to gather 200 soldiers. Okay, boss, we've got it. 200 soldiers will... will, Hold on. That's not all. I I want you to gather 200 soldiers, but I also want you to gather 70 soldiers on horses. Okay, boss, we've got it. 200 soldiers, 70, 270. I've done the math. No, no, hold on. That's not all. I also want you to gather 200 spearmen. Okay, boss, we've got, are we going to war? What's happening here? We've got almost 500 people that we're gathering together. What's going on? And and Claudius Lysias says, no, we're taking Paul to Caesarea. That's what's happening. Be ready at 9 p.m. tonight, for at 9 p.m. tonight we ride. Right? That's what he says. And so, catch this, all right? The very same Claudius Lysias who arrested Paul and threw him into prison is now gathering nearly 500 of his own soldiers to escort Paul to Caesarea to be taken to Felix, the the governor. Lysias is out of his league in understanding what he should do with Paul, so he's taking him to the Roman governor in Caesarea, heavily protected. Why? It's almost as if there's a sovereign God over this, right? Maybe it is, right? So here, here's where we go. That's exactly what's happening. If God is sovereign, and he is, and if God has a plan for Paul, and he does, he's going to protect him. And he does, so don't miss that. And the protection continues. Claudius Lysias sends a letter to Felix explaining the situation. Of course, Claudius takes a little more, uh, a little more credit for, for things that, that should not really be attributed to him. But, you know, that, that's what happens when uh, dishonest people speak. They speak dishonestly. And so here's what he says. He sends this letter. He says, Dear uh, most excellent uh, Felix, the Jews are out to get Paul. But listen, I protected him. I I protected him. No worries. It seems as if the Jews have some frustrations uh, with him about some religious matters. Don't really understand what's happening here. And I like the guy well enough, so I I did what's best for him. So here he is, yours truly, hugs and kisses, Claudius Lysias. So he sends this letter with the, the, the centurions. So the 500 soldiers get Paul. They take him to Caesarea. 70 horsemen escort Paul and his letter directly to Felix. Felix reads the letter, decides to give Paul a hearing once his accusers arrive, because that's what needs to happen. And so for five days, Paul is kept in a prison of the palace of the governor. There's a giant palace in Caesarea where the governor lives. There's a part of it that's a prison, so he's kept there for five days. Here's what we see, protection. 
protection all the way to the door of the governor. And we cannot miss that, that the sovereign God has a plan for Paul to get to Rome, to continue the the mission of Jesus, to make Jesus known across the globe. God has prepared the way for that to happen and is now protecting Paul all the way there. Now, I know this is going to sound cheesy, cliche, simple, but listen, if we actually believe that God is sovereign over all things, and he is, then we've got to see our safe arrival from one place to the next as part of God's gracious act in protecting us. Make fun all you want of the prayer for traveling mercies. If we believe that that God is a sovereign God, we've got to see that that he is active in our protection from one place to the next, part of his, his active, gracious hand in protecting us. He began a good work in us. He wants to see that carried out. He wants to see that working in us and and then through us, which he will carry out. So don't think too highly of yourself yet. Uh, But do you see your day-to-day activities like that? Right? You get in your car and you drive to work and you made it. God wanted you to be there. You, you got to see it that, that way. If God has purchased you by the blood of his own son so that you can worship and serve him forever, your days are his. Your activities are his. Your job, your family, your leisure, your life is his. And he's protecting you to get you there. So if God is sovereign, and he is, God has a sovereign plan for your life, and he does, he will prepare you for that plan. He will protect you so that you can carry out that plan. And he will provide for you in in the midst of that plan coming about. We begin chapter 24 with this case being set against Paul. The high priest Ananias comes down to Caesarea. He brings some elders and a spokesman. So there's his accusers, Ananias and some elders and a spokesperson by the name of Tertullus. So, so Paul's in prison. Remember that he's, a, he's in prison of the Roman palace five days waiting on these accusers to make their way down. And they now have. And now he's there in front of the governor Felix. And Tertullus begins his accusation by praising Felix. Like you always should, right? In front of a high-standing official. And so he says, we're enjoying your leadership. Oh, there's so much peace. There's, there's so many reforms being made. We're so thankful for you, most excellent Felix, blah, 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 right? So let me finish on with my speech. That's what he's getting at. Then Tertullius begins his accusation, and he says, the Paul that, that you have here, this Paul character is a plague. He's a disease, he, he's a pest. He's a mess. He, he stirs up riots wherever he goes. He's a ringleader of some religious sect. He, he, he even tried to profane the temple. And that's where we drew the line. We, we nabbed him when he tried to profane the temple. You can ask him yourself and you will see everything that we've spoken is true. Go ahead and, and ask him. He's a pest. And we're told that the Jews who were there rallied with Tertullus uh, affirming these things to be true. Now, here's the problem with the accusation. Listen carefully. The problem with the accusation is that it is false. All of it. None of it is true. It's all lies. Paul is being set up. Remember, there's a mob of 40 plus people waiting to ambush Paul. Do you remember that? This is an aside, but this is the way my brain works. You can hang with me here. For at least five days, we don't know how much longer, but at least five days, there's a group of 40 plus people out there who are really hungry, right? Because Paul's not dead. 
Right? And I just like to imagine that Luke didn't tell us this bit, but they're like, every person they see, they think it's Paul, and right, he becomes a steak. You know, like, oh, there he is, right? And so they're just hungry, right? Emaciated, looking for food. I mean, Paul, right, that's what they're doing. Luke doesn't tell us that, but uh, you can hang with me on that. Um, here, here's what's happening. Paul has people who are out to get him. God has protected him, brought him here, now five days in prison. He's being falsely accused. I want you to put yourself in his shoes. Falsely accused. None of these things are true. you got 40 people you know because your nephew just told you who are out to kill you. How would you respond? I don't know how you would respond, but, but I would respond in anger and defense right away. Right? Anger and defense right away to get out of that mess. These things aren't true, and I'm, I'm not about to go down because of these false accusations. No way am I doing that. But what do we see? If God has a sovereign plan, if God is sovereign and he is, and if God has a sovereign plan for Paul to carry out, and he does, then he is going to provide for Paul, and he does. He provides Paul with patience and humility to respond. A a gracious, humble uh, response to these people. He provides Paul with patience and humility to respond, and the conclusion of his response is what? To make much of Jesus. I want us to read, uh, starting in verse 10 of chapter 24. Here's Paul's response. I I want you to hear it. I want you to see if there's any sort of selfish defense at all as we read through. 24, starting in verse 10. When the governor had nodded to him to speak, Paul replied. Here's his reply. Knowing that for many years you have been a judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. You can verify that it is not more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem, and they did not find me disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd, either in the temple or in the synagogues or in the city. Neither can they prove to you what they now bring up against me. But I confess to you that according to the way, the the Christian group, uh, the Christian way, uh, the way of Jesus, according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, and there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. Men. Now, after several years, I came to bring alms to my nation and to present offerings. While I was doing this, they found me purified, purified in the temple without any crowd or tumult. But some Jews from Asia, they ought to be here before you to make an accusation, should they have anything against me. Or else, let these men themselves say what wrongdoing they found when I stood before the council, other than this one thing that I cried out while standing among them. It is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you this day. So you see what Paul's done here? He's calmly... He's very systematically, he's respectfully, he's, he's legally defending himself against the false accusations. It's true, I was in Jerusalem, I was worshiping God, but I wasn't stirring up riots. I was in Jerusalem bringing money to those in need. It was sent along with the other churches. But when I was in the temple, I was there in an appropriate way. I was well-dressed, I was purified, I was well-behaved. I've not been a ringleader of any rogue kind of sect that you think I am. I, in fact, I worship the same God as these men. He just carefully and clearly, respectfully defends what he's there for. And, and we've got to believe that those words are provided to him by God. Th- those don't come from a sinful, selfish heart. 
Those have got to be coming from God. But, but what is of most importance throughout his defense? Did you catch it? He brings it up twice. Eric nailed it last week. The resurrection of Jesus, right? In the midst of the false accusations against him, Paul's hope is the resurrection of Jesus. He says, you can accuse me of all kinds of, uh, of things falsely, but one thing is for sure. The, the very reason I'm here and, and the one thing I can't deny is that there is hope in the resurrection of Jesus. We've got to understand that Paul's response, even in him responding, is provision from God. Jesus himself tells us that that kind of provision will happen, right? Again, uh, if God is sovereign, and he is, he has a plan for his people, and he does, he will provide words when we need them. In Luke 21, Jesus tells us what will happen. Uh, Paul, Paul had to be convinced of this. He, he had to be convinced of this very thing. And here, here's what Jesus says. Then at Luke 21, starting in verse 10, then Jesus said to them, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places, famines and pestilences, and, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer. You know how that goes, right? A little argument with someone, you're beginning to formulate ideas in your head of how to respond. He says, do not meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth of wisdom, which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. Paul had to know that God was working in him and through him. And if God was doing that, Paul had to know that Jesus himself would be providing a mouth of wisdom for him. That ways to respond to the governor. And here's the, the thing. We have to be in a place, I think. I, I think we have to be in a place where we absolutely understand and know and believe deeply that God is sovereignly working all these things out. Before we move into a place uh, of speaking, we have to believe that God is sovereignly working all of these things out. We cannot go into situations uh, like these questioning God's sovereignty. Right? We, we cannot go in uh, questioning the all-powerful sovereign hand of God. Why? Because if we go into situations like this, questioning whether or not God's sovereign and He's working things out, we're going to go in going to bat for ourselves, right? We will absolutely defend. We will absolutely self-promote. We will absolutely get to a place of self-preservation if we don't believe in the sovereignty of God. If we don't understand and deeply take in the sovereignty of God. But listen carefully. If we believe that God is sovereign and He is, then He, we will know clearly in that moment that He is going to, to finish the work that He started. He, he will carry out the work that's been entrusted to us. Paul believed that. He, he believed it deeply. And, and so Paul has spoken his peace. He, he's spoken his peace, words provided to him by God, uh, leaning mostly on the hope of the resurrection. And, and really, that's it. Right? Then, then he's out. I, I, I'm finished. That's all we get. He trusts God to work. And here's the very last thing we see in, at the end of chapter 24, and we're finished. If God is sovereign, and He is, and if God has a plan for, for you to carry out, and He does, He will provide you. Now listen very closely. I didn't say He will provide for you. 
I said, he will provide you. You are his servant. We're told in 2 Corinthians 4 that, that we're these broken vessels for God. For what purpose? To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So God's pro- providing you to, to be in that place. In verse 22 of chapter 24, we see that Felix responds saying, I'll decide your case when Claudius Lysias gets here. He, he then puts Paul back in prison, but with some freedoms, maybe like a house arrest. Right? He, he says, if he wants visitors, great, then they can come in and visit in, in and out, whatever. We'll wait for Claudius Lysias to come. We're told that some days later, Felix comes to Paul with his Jewish wife, Drusilla. Guys, if you meet a gal named Drusilla, ask her to change the name. Right? So, uh, Jewish wife, Drusilla, so they can hear more. Why do they come? So that they can hear more uh, about faith in Jesus. Read this this week. They, they come to Paul and they say, we want to hear more about faith in Jesus. Felix, the Roman governor, brings his Jewish wife, a woman who is the daughter of Herod Agrippa I. Felix and Drusilla go to Paul to hear more about faith in Jesus. God is sovereignly working in and through Paul, providing Paul for that situation as a mouthpiece for the truth of the gospel to two dignitaries in Caesarea. Do you understand that? This is a hand of God all over this. God has so orchestrated the events of Paul's itinerary that he now has an opportunity to speak about Jesus to two very influential people. That, that's of God. And so listen, this is where it comes in, into us. I think we can be challenged that we are in places, the places that we are in by the sovereign hand of God. Don't overlook that. Don't overlook that, that you work with people every day who need to hear about Jesus. That, that you live around people, that you live with people maybe, you live near people who, who need to hear about Jesus. Listen, there are some of you who rub shoulders with people I'll never have the privilege of meeting. Please understand that you are there by the sovereign hand of God to be rubbing shoulders with people who need to hear about Jesus. God is providing you for that situation. Don't don't think too highly of yourself, but God provided you there. God provided you to to be there. So so Paul talks about his faith in Jesus, the coming judgment. He throws that in, talks about the coming judgment. And Felix gets a little bit spooked about that, right? And and, and so he sends Paul away. Like, I don't want to hear about that. I'm sending you away. But but because Felix is hopeful for some bribe money, this is how, how twisted he is. He's hopeful for some bribe money. He keeps bringing Paul back for more conversations. Let's bring him back. Maybe he'll pay me off and we can get this guy out of here. Even those regular conversations are being used by God in Paul's life to continue to speak the truth of the gospel to Felix over and over and over. And we're told at the end of chapter 24 that Paul was left in prison for two years. Oh, I love to to, to think about the fact that he had two years to talk about faith in Jesus to two dignitaries that no one would ever get the uh, opportunities to speak to. For two years, God provided Paul as a mouthpiece for the gospel to be spoken to people who may never hear it otherwise. And so listen, this is where we close. Listen, God is providing you to the place you are in for a reason. If God is sovereign, and he is, he is preparing you even now for that plan. He is protecting you so that you can carry out his plan. He is providing for you in the carrying out of that plan. And he is providing you as part of that plan. You believe that? 
God is at work in and through you. Don't, don't think too highly of yourself because you're both insignificant and significant. That God doesn't need you, but for some reason he's using you, caring for you, preparing you, providing for you. This ought to change the outlook of our seemingly mundane week. Shouldn't it? Unappreciated moms. This ought to change the outlook of your week. That God has sovereignly placed you there. Uh, unappreciated employees. Taking the shift that no one wants to take. This ought to change the outlook of your, your day, your week. That, that God has placed you there. Uh, unappreciated student, wife, husband, child, friend, whatever that is. If God is sovereign and He is, then your days matter. They, they matter. These light and momentary days are preparing for you an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Do we believe that? I, I pray that we would. For the honor and fame of Jesus, I pray that. Let's pray. Father, we are, um, are in awe of what you are, are doing here as we read through in the life of Paul sovereignly working to move him from one place to the next to carry out the fame of Jesus across the globe to the end of the earth, of which we're beneficiaries of. You have done that, God. And God, we would be foolish to think that you would only work in ways like that with Paul. That you have placed us in the situations we're in. We're in this room right now this morning because you want us to be here in some reason. You, you prepared us to be here. You protected us on our way here. You're providing for us, and now you're providing us. And so I pray that we would understand that and believe it, and that it would change and affect our daily activities. As we interact with people, as we go to work, as we parent our children, as we um, are, are, are in relationship with friends, as we do the things that we are, are doing throughout the day, I pray that understanding that you're sovereignly active over all things to bring glory and fame to Jesus all the more, I pray that we would understand so clearly that you're doing that, that you're preparing a work in us so that you can work through us. Help us to believe it and to understand it, we pray. Amen.